Hi, I'm Joseph Newgarden, and you need more front wings. Hello and welcome to another More Front Wing podcast. I'm Steph Walcraft, joined by my co-editor Paul Dalby, and we're here to recap the weekend at the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach, and goodness knows there's lots to talk about. Um, and we'll spend a little bit of time looking ahead to the Honda Indy uh, Grand Prix of Alabama as well at Barber Motorsports Park. Just want to make sure I get all those words right because there are a lot of them. And How was that? Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. It's been that for a number of years. I know it? it has, but that Indy in the middle there just always throws me off. I don't know. The, the Higpa. The Higpa, yeah, that's much easier to say. <laughs> so, but before we get to that, let's talk about Long Beach, and there, as I said, is plenty to talk about, but let's start with, so, Paul, you just went to your first one. How was it? Did it match up to everything that you'd been told that it would? It was much bigger than I had even anticipated. It, <laughs> it was a huge event, and it was it, it was just impossible to take it all in over the course of three days. It, it's one of those events where you probably go back to a couple of years in a row and still not really feel like you're in the swing of things yet. Uh, there, there was just so much. And let me tell you, remember I was asking you about how big the facility was? Mm-hmm. This track felt huge. Compared to Toronto and St. Pete that I've been to before, this track just felt like it just went on and on and on and on. <laughs> and to go from the east side of the track, which is the hairpin and where the paddock is, to the mm-hmm. west side, which is kind of the fountain complex and um, where the driver's heads fell off in turn four mm-hmm. over the weekend, that is a long, long way between those two points. And there's not a whole lot of easy ways to get there. And if you don't know how to get there, it's a real long trick because you got to go all the way down and come back and find the bridge across. Yeah, especially if you try to do it behind pit lane because I don't think there really is, or at uh, least no, when I was there, there really wasn't an easy way to do that. You had to sort of weave in and out of things to get That would have been very, very good information to tell me a couple of weeks ago. Thank yeah, you. but I wanted to make things interesting for you. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite touristy thing that you did when you were down there? Favorite tourist? You mean away from the track? Well, you know, sort of something you ate at the track or something you did near the track. You no, know, I actually or... didn't have time to take in much of the stuff, the food at the track. Did you have some King Taco? Some, uh, please tell I me somebody we... told you to have King Taco. Uh, I think we may have had King Taco catered one day for lunch. Um, maybe. That would make sense because they're a partner. Yeah, I think I think that's who it was. They was were was it uh, proper like Mexican tacos with the two corn tortillas and the and the, oh, were I, they supposed to have two? I yeah. thought they just got stuck together. Yes, yes, they were. <laughs> then you had King Taco. <laughs> yeah, oh, they were very, very good. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Yes, it was. Uh, I didn't know that I was supposed to fi- seek that out, but uh, it sought me out, and it was delicious. Well, I can't do everything for you. Come on. You know, a little prep would have helped out. <laughs> work with me here. And you scratch so, my back, I scratch yours. Come on. So you stayed in a hotel one for two nights in one section and then two nights. I did. I kind of kind of bounced around. Uh, so the first night, I guess, little little travel stuff here. I know there's no good time to drive on the L.A. freeways, but getting on the 405 at 5 o'clock on a Thursday night, not a good idea. Mm-mm. Not good. Um, but as I came into the track, I actually stayed on, uh, in, in the San Pedro area, which is a peninsula, a little straight west of the track on the other side of the, the, uh, the docks and, 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 uh, port terminals, uh, very isolated, I guess, from, from Long Beach. But as you come in from the west, particularly, you come in through the, the port of, of Long Beach and it's just containers and, and shipping vessels everywhere. And you go over this one last bridge and then it's like an oasis and you're gone out of the port and you're into downtown Long Beach. And when I say the track, the Long Beach Grand Prix track is downtown. I mean, it is literally downtown. It's mm-hmm. not like Toronto, which, you know, to be fair, it's uh, several miles away from the central business district, as is uh, St. Pete, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the closest thing that 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 would uh, match Long Beach probably would have been Baltimore where it mm-hmm. is literally in the downtown. So th- w- if you're in the city of Long Beach during Grand Prix week, 
there is no way to avoid the the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Um, in in some of the tracks that IndyCar goes to, a lot of times you don't even know the IndyCar series is there. There's no way to not know it's there if you were in Long Beach. Um, so anyway, I was staying over in San Pedro, which was west of it, kind of isolated. Uh, but if if you're looking for, to go to the Grand Prix and you're looking for a, a a place that's a little bit away but still an easy drive, I don't think it ever took me more than 10, 15 minutes to get from my hotel to the track. So it's a very convenient place west of there. Um, beautiful, beautiful area. Um, yeah. um, Bree and I, Bree Rents, who uh, formerly of Dry and Reinbold, who's now, I guess, with KVSH, she finally announced, uh, working some first in PR. She and I went on a, a, a run along the shoreline, just absolutely gorgeous front. Um, so be a great place if you just want, want to go see the ocean and watch the sunset over the ocean. Uh, the San Pedro Peninsula is phenomenal so So apart from the size what would be the one thing that you would say surprised you the most i would say just the the crowds were huge Mm -hmm. huge crowds Um, you know i i fortunately i sat next to gordon kirby uh which kind (laughs) of anyone's opinion and all he did was in the media center and all he did was complain all weekend especially when uh uh, Jim McCallion came in, and he, Jim was, was uh, the owner or CEO of the the Grand Prix of Long Beach. And actually, what is his title? I guess Kevin Kalkoman still owns it, so I guess Jim McCallion would just be the CEO. I think. Think you're right. Anyway, he's in charge of it. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sunday after the race, Jim was just tickled pink about the crowds. He was very excited, and of course, Gordon has complained the whole time that oh well, you know, 30 years ago, I remember when it took 45 minutes just to cross the bridge and. You know, there was nobody here this year. And, you know, the guy can depress a rock, to be quite honest with you. But <laughs> the organizers, I, I mean, as Jim was talking with someone, the, the number I heard him say is uh, he said it was the largest crowd they had in 10 years. And he said, I don't think we'll quite hit 180,000 for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, is it 180,000? I don't know. I don't even know what 180,000 looks like at a street course. All I know is that everywhere I went, at least in the paddock and, and the, the pit area, it was packed. The grandstands were, you know, easily three quarters full all three days. Race day, they were all pretty much full. You could you could hardly walk through the paddock. The pit lane was was it always has a oh, reputation. Oh, pit lane is tight. yeah the worst. But, I remember walking by uh, Kevin Lee one year in the pit lane, and he was having a tr- hard time getting around. And he grumbled to himself as he was walking by. This is worse than Indianapolis. <laughs> it's just yeah. yeah, very very tight. But yeah, I, I'd say the crowds really surprised. I mean, this is an event. I mean, there's a reason it's been here 40 years. Mm-hmm. And it, it gets phenomenal um, support from the community. Uh, people, I never heard anyone complaining about it. When I spoke with people that were just citizens there that weren't anything to do with the race and weren't going to the race, you know, they all knew about it. They were all seemed excited to have the, the IndyCar series in town. It's it's a big focal um, event for the community. And you know, they really do get good support for it. So that's great to see. There's a reason it's been there 40 years. And I don't see any reason to be concerned that it won't continue going on. Hmm. Very cool. Well, I guess we should talk about some racing, huh? Do you want to talk, mm. uh, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, sure. So we can start with the good story, the happy story. Okay, we got a few of those. We can yeah. talk about those. Yeah, the Mike Conway win. It doesn't Ed Carpenter look like a genius now? <laughs> well, so, I think people knew it was a good move. I don't mm-hmm. think most people honestly thought that they would win this quickly, though. The I guy don't think had they... a broken wing for the entire race. It yeah. broke on the start. Yeah. Yeah. And and he didn't win that just because of the big accident later in the race. I mean, he he was motoring the whole race. Mm-hmm. In fact, he, he looked really pretty good most of the weekend. But, you know, as soon as the green flag dropped on Sunday... He was on a charge, so it wasn't like he only got there because the top two or three or four or six or eight guys took themselves out. He earned this win, no well, doubt about it. Shouldn't nobody should be surprised by that? It's uh, no. it's really quite something. And he's off in Europe racing, or he raced WEC last weekend, I think, and then he's back over here this weekend for Barber. So he's going to be a busy guy over the next little while. But you know, all seat time is good seat time, and. Uh, yeah, so it's just amazing to see that pay off so quickly for that team, and and uh, 
I mean, there's not much else to say about it. Who's not happy for them? Who can possibly not be? Yeah, I, you know, how many people thought that that Mike Conway's career was over when he stepped away from the Foyt ride on a race weekend? Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people had to think, boy, that's career suicide. Well, there were a lot of people at that time saying that it was a really brave move, too, and that's the truth. Well, it was gutsy, yeah, but not necessarily bright. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, there are so many people that want rides in the IndyCar series and to walk away from one, you know, from from a Foyt team. That takes some cojones to do. Um, But, you know, all credit to Mike. He understood that he wasn't comfortable and... When you're driving 225 miles an hour with uh, 25 other guys on track, you don't have the luxury of not being comfortable. If you're not confident, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your competitors to walk away. And he made the right decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we as as armchair drivers can criticize or or whatever people want to say about him. But it's not our life on the line. It's not our responsibility and looking out for our our colleagues to make sure that you know we handle a life or death, literally a life and death situation appropriately. Uh, so I, I think those within the paddock all supported him. They all understood and appreciated his move. But at the same time, I think a lot of people thought that, well, you walk away from a ride. You know, rides don't just fall out of the sky every day. And it was a it was a brave move, and people support him. But I don't think they necessarily thought it was. Um, a, a position like the Ed Carpenter ride was going to open up for him. Well, it, it was sort of serendipity that it did. And, and that because Ed was saying for um, probably about a year when people were saying, why don't you do this? This seems like an obvious solution that his sponsors were not interested in having somebody else in the car, etc. So I don't know whether um, the backroom talks were the convincing of the sponsor or the convincing of Ed or how that went. But um, either way, somebody somebody said the right thing at the right time and, and made this thing happen that seemed really as though it should be happening all along. And it's just, it's it's really good to see that pay off so quickly for that team and, and both those drivers because uh, everybody involved deserves yeah, it for yeah, doing the right yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and when people talk about that entrant being a contender for the championship, now we see exactly why. There's mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about less fun things. What's <laughs> so, that? Let's talk about less fun things. Oh, no, we got other good things to talk about. Okay, you go. All right, what, what about this rookie Jack Hawksworth? Yeah. Good what one. A, yeah, wow. Who thought this guy was going to be this competitive and looking this strong early on? Not the people that were assuming that were talking about how he was bringing a big check, I assume. Mm, yeah, not me. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. I will freely admit I did not have this guy uh, running this strongly. And it, it's really a shame that both at St. Petersburg and at Long Beach, his results have been uh, very skewed from his performance because of factors really that are out of his control. Absolutely. Um, he kind of got shafted on both of these. And unfortunately, Brian Hurd is left holding the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but... it doesn't always work that way. No, no. You got to think if this team continues to perform like they have, they give Jack good cars, and Jack continues to drive the wheels off as he has the last two events. You know, their luck is going to change, and he's going to continue to show. I think. Uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen when he gets to the ovals yet. Uh, he, he's admittedly a, a street course sort of guy. Um, but yeah, these are two very impressive events, and and he was he was strong all weekend. Qualified for the Firestone Fast Six. Um, you know, Will Power doesn't even make it out of the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the Penske guys get into the into the fast six. None of the Ganassi guys get into the top six. Yeah, kind and, of a weird, here, bizarro qualifying that yeah. that weekend. And here's here's rookie Jack Hawksworth with little tiny Brian Hurd Autosport, and he motors right on in. It, what a great story! Absolutely, and it's funny because Carlos Munoz, who I think everybody expected to to sort of take the the rookie of the year title in a runaway is almost flying under the radar relatively speaking mm-hmm. uh, and yet he is in fact i'm just i've just gone to check he is in fact leading the rookie of the year points by about double of uh, what hawksworth is just because of the incidents that Hawk, hawksworth has had but certainly if hawksworth can keep his car in one piece and and get some results going 
it might be more of a contest than we than we had assumed that it would be. So it's appearing that way. Very interesting to watch. Um, I guess one more good news thing we can talk about that sort of transitions into the bad news thing is Joseph Newgarden and Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing, mm-hmm. another one that's uh, performing very strongly. Um, Joseph has the best performances of his career and the worst luck of his career at Long Beach every single yeah. time. And this was just another one of those days for him. Unfortunately, he was um, he looked so strong. And I mean, Sarah Fisher said herself, it was our race to win. And um, it, it got spoiled by... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and here is where we start to go downhill. Ryan Hunter Ray. What was that? It, it had to be one of the most uh, high-risk, low-reward attempts I've seen in a long time. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a pass in turn four. Ever. It's just not a place that's really conducive to passing. I, I don't know why he thought that he had to get him right at that exact second. Because both of the next turns, five and six and eight, really are all passing opportunities that, that passes can be made at. I guess his concern was that he wanted to get Newgarden when his tires were cold, but that's... No. Yeah, you still have to <laughs> use discretion. You can't just dump into somebody like that. It, no. He, he was never close. Never even close. Such a bizarre thing. And took out... Uh, hold on, I made a list. So it took out um, Newgarden, Canon, Hinchcliffe, and Sato, and then Sebastian Saavedra was involved in it as well. And uh, three of those guys ended up with injuries from the incident. Oh, they did? Yeah. Let me go and find those. So, no, um, Hinch did. You're right. He had, yeah, a, like, Hinch had a, sprained, a sprained somewhere in his hand, but he had nothing broken. Uh, same thing for Kanan. He had a, a sore wrist. And Saavedra had a bruise on his hand because he, had, he got hit by a piece of wing. Ouch. Yeah. So all of them will be fine for this weekend, but still, it just goes to show how much impact one sort of, I'm trying so hard not, what was the word I used? Uh, Brain fartery. Brain brain fartery. (laughs) That's the word of the year so far. (laughs) I'm always good for the creative words, I guess. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's amazing how much one dumb move can impact not only his race, but everybody else's. And, and you got three guys contending with injuries afterward as well. It's just not acceptable. And I really don't understand how he wasn't penalized somehow for that. Uh, what are you going to penalize him for? Find him afterwards. You're not going to find him, somebody. No, dock him grid no, positions in no, the next race. Why? No, no. So what is it? Are, are by not doing anything, you're you're implicitly saying that this is okay. Is it? He took himself out of the race. That is. His and penalty. five other other cars. And well, that's just how racing drivers. goes. No, no, no. That's just how racing goes. You don't penalize somebody more severely just because there's more drivers involved. Okay, no. smarty pants. No. Then let's talk about Power and Paginot and see how you think. Uh-huh. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't, well, got I don't, you. <laughs> how can I, I you think that... No, I don't... It's I, not okay. It's not okay. Uh, there's five teams that are dealing with crash damage. Michael Andretti was absolutely livid. I think Ryan might be feeling lucky that he still has a job for the next little while. <laughs> His teammate was livid. I'm not sure things are all hunky-dory at the Andretti Autosport shop like they have been for the last couple of years. I I just... I, I don't know. I, I I think these are professional guys. Everyone still respects Ryan. He made a stupid mistake. I I think most of them are going to get over it. It's You know, it's not like he punted somebody out of the way then went on to win and you know, I had no remorse for it, which has been... He didn't been have any remorse for it at first. He had to take to Twitter three hours later to apologize. He was all cheeky on TV. Mm. I don't think it was really my fault. Oh, well, I saw the replay, and guess I guess actually it was. <laughs> yeah. You think? <laughs> um, 
So you know who else had to be upset though and crying in their beer afterwards were the folks from Honda. I think who they lost in that they lost <laughs> they lost Ryan Hunter Ray, they lost Hinch, they lost Hawksworth, they lost Sato. Uh, is that it? You know it's funny because for my um, my freelance work for the Toronto Star, uh, the wheel section of the Toronto Star, I was in the New York Auto Show last week um just to to do um, an assignment with a production manufacturer and um the i happened to run into art saint Cyr there uh the the president of hpd and i i actually am working on a story for the star right now on hpd and their history and their involvement in indycar and sports cars and such and so when i saw him there i said hey can i have a few minutes of your time because a few quotes from me would be really perfect for that story and so he said sure and we met up and um i said to him i, I just asked him a really general question about you know how are things going for for the the new formula for you guys so far? And he said they'd be going great if our, our guys would stop hitting each other. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So it's, uh, it hasn't gone unnoticed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. There I was think a... somebody said that um, the the Honda guys all had a um, sort of a company picnic almost at HPD the day after the Long Beach race and made a pact that they were going to stop hitting each other and start hitting the Chevrolet guys. Did they take some did they take themselves out at at uh at St. Pete as well? Uh it was, yeah, Andretti and Hawksworth were the only incident at St. Pete. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's two Honda guys. Well, at least at least Pagano got taken out by a Chevrolet. Does that make him feel any better? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> you what? I'm gonna go with no on that one. No, I don't, I wouldn't think so either. Yeah. So. Yeah. Funny stuff. It is interesting though that the uh, the Honda guys seem to be having a harder time of uh, keeping their heads about them all of a sudden. Coincidence? Probably. Um, <laughs> So let's talk about that power and Paginot thing, because this leads into I'm, I'm going to do a bit of reading for you guys here. And I'm sorry if, if for those who have read all of this, but um, it it goes into a deeper discussion about the culture within IndyCar and more specifically within race control this year. And um, it looks like it's going to be another roller coaster year of trying to find the balance between what makes fans and administration and drivers happy at the level of um, penalties that are being issued. I think it's safe to say that not very many people in the paddock are happy with the way that things went at Long Beach. Um, even Power himself said that he was surprised that he wasn't penalized for <laughs> for that incident. Um, You'd think maybe he'd give himself like a voluntary one-lap penalty or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, because race drivers really <laughs> tended to, to do that. Self-policing. Um, <laughs> self-policing, I don't think that's what they mean by that. So, um, Pagina was hot, Power was apologetic, said he was surprised that he wouldn't, that he didn't get the penalty. And then a few days after that, Robin Miller got a hold of Bo Barfield and um, and did a piece for Racer.com. And here's a few of the key quotes from that. Um, on the Power and Paginot incident, Bo, Bo Barfield said, myself and the other two stewards, who incidentally are Johnny Unser and Brian Barnhart, looked at the replays and acknowledged that we would likely have called that a penalty last year, but it is something we will no longer call. It was two guys racing hard for position, but we didn't see it as malicious. So now all of a sudden we need a definition for the word malicious, I think. Oh. Hmm. Is, it, is this where you're going to go into your tin, tin hat theory? Oh, that's not my tin tinfoil hat theory. That's my that's Norris McDonald's tinfoil hat theory. Oh, sure, yeah. pass the buck down the road, I see. Yeah, no, but uh, it's starting to be talked about a little bit more. And I do think that it's something that IndyCar should address at some point is the fact that they don't seem to want to penalize the guy who's got the title sponsor's logo on his side pods. I think we talked about this in the last podcast, too. Um, mm -hmm. And then you brought it up again this week. I did? Well, you brought it up on Twitter or in the uh, first reactions after it, the I did. Race. I did bring it up in there, yes. But I think, I, I don't know. I, I see this as... I would love to just see a statement to the effect of we acknowledge that, that people see this as a potential conflict of interest and we're doing our best to blah, 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 make sure blah, 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 you know, PR speak, but just something to say, you know, like we're we're on the up and up and, and we're not going to do this because unless 
they are, and then they can't lie. But nobody wants to see one competitor have an advantage because he's got the right logo on his car. And and I I do feel like it would be a good idea for somebody to say, you know, that's not going to happen. But that's another story. So I haven't heard, apart from Bo Barfield and his two stewards, a single person say that they think that Power should have gotten away with what he did. Um, if I'm remembering the incident correctly, and admittedly I haven't watched it since the initial broadcast, but I think didn't Power turn... Pagano with a his right front on Pagano's left rear or something like that? Yes, Power tried to go on the inside into turn six. Knew he wasn't going to get there, tried to back out, and by the time he tried to back out, Pagano had already turned in, and Power couldn't get out fast enough. Right. Basically punting him, yeah. So Power himself, in a later article that was written by Marshall Pruitt at Racer.com, said... Um, he pointed out a rule that exists in the V8 Supercar Series in Australia that is an automatic drive-through penalty for anybody who turns somebody who's not a certain distance up on the car. And he pointed out that that's something that's really easy to police because you can it's very visual and it's automatic and it's 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 defined and it's something that, that drivers can use as a as a base point and it makes a lot of sense. And then you don't have the risk of, of these guys having a tendency to do that wheel-to-wheel contact to punt guys out of the way. I'm not saying that's what Power did. I'm not saying that's what anybody would intentionally do. But it might make guys think twice about making moves that could result in that. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think on an open-wheel car, it wouldn't be any dif- more difficult to do than it is on a tin top. Yeah, I see the validity in it. Um, but? I don't know. I guess I can go both ways. <laughs> You're such an evil sometimes. Why? What's wrong with it? I don't know. I, I just kind of like them being a little bit more hands-off, to be quite honest. I like it, too. It doesn't but... bother me. It doesn't It doesn't really bother me that, that power didn't get penalized to be quite honest with you but what i like better than hands off is consistency and if it gives them a way to be more consistent in the way that they that they police things then i'm all for that even more so than i am for for more hands off and i'm fully all for more hands off but i uh, i mean we haven't seen them bring a penalty yet for somebody for being alongside them and and punting them have we no but not this year well, okay. Like well, Ralph said himself, maybe last year they would have. And well, maybe last year, yeah, but we can't bring in last year because they've really, they've made an effort, they've published this effort that they're going to be more hands off, that they're not going to. Um, yeah, know, but rule, you watch. Rule from the bench. You watch. By the time they get to the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, they're going to be penalizing left and right again because the drivers are going to be complaining, and then so. we're going to be well, back into a lack of consistency. I don't think so. I, I think they're going to stick with this until. At least through ending, then, then I think once we get through this oval stretch, maybe okay, they'll. Okay, fine. When we get to Detroit, they're going to be penalizing left and right. If you're going to, if maybe, you're going to maybe it hairs. But hopefully they they will if if they decide to, you know, come down with the iron fist again. Hopefully they'll publish that and say, hey, look, we tried it. You guys can't figure it out for yourselves. So now we have to babysit you guys and treat you like kids again. That's what we're going to do. At this point, they've said we're going to treat you like professionals. You guys take care of it. You guys are the ones with the wheels and the throttle in your hands. Does that make sense? Um, <laughs> you know, figure it out. Be big boys. Be professionals here. If you can't figure it out, then you know, down the road we'll have to figure it out for you. But for the time being, we're going to let you guys. I hate to say that the boys have at it, but you know, figure right, it out. But... Be professionals. Now, I'm going to give you another quote from that Marshall Pruitt article that speaks directly to this. It was from Justin Wilson. Um, and he said, I'm really not sure what's meant by letting the driver sort things out. Are we supposed to dress up in sumo suits after the race in the parking lot and have it out? Or do we go and hit the guy? Do we take the guy out at the next race? I'm really not sure what's fair game under this new policy. And then later in the article are quotes from several drivers saying, we don't want to get into a, a an environment where we've got guys going out for retaliation in open wheel cars. 
So what is going to be retaliation? What is sorting it out for yourselves? And I think that that's where IndyCar has always struggled to define what's okay and what's not. I mean, nobody wants to return to the Brian Barnhart, I'm going to tell you how to pass days, but have we swung too far in the other direction? It's not NASCAR. You can't have guys going out there and driving into the side of other cars. You're going to hurt someone. Yeah, I don't know what the level of retaliation will be permitted. Even the you, word you retaliation the... doesn't belong in open wheel racing, in my opinion. Well, okay. Mm. There are ways to screw with somebody without crashing them. The problem yes. is that you don't want you don't want a return to the seventies when AJ Foyt is dragging people in behind the garages in Castellane Alley either, right? I mean, you'd find well, people I, sued I don't know these that, days. That bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the it's not nineteen seventy anymore. It's a different environment, and I think. I think that that's part of what contributes to it is people seem to think that these guys can just, you know, push and shove each other around in the, in the paddock and solve their problems like that. And yeah, I, but I don't I just, see how there's... that keeps power from trying the same move on Pagano again the next race. And then, pa- then Pagano gets even more hot and decides he's going to, you know, drive against power harder going forward and, and they do something stupid in Indy. And then it start, it's just we're in a great big escalating cycle that that is petty and dumb i'm, I'm all for yeah. drama all and right. i'm all for for rivalry but you have guys safety at stake here and you, you have to be really careful all plus indycar gets into ins- insurance issues with all this by the way speaking of it being 2014 i'm just saying there could be an issue and it may not be this weekend it may not be at indianapolis it may not be at detroit it may not be at Iowa. It may be at Sonoma at the end of the year. But there could very well be a situation where Ryan Hunter Ray is trying to get around Joseph Newgarden, and race control might be going to get a cup of coffee while Joseph Newgarden makes his car a little wider. That's all I'm saying. There, there could be Justin or Joseph Newgarden could make Ryan Hunter Ray's life a little bit more difficult on the track at this point, and I think he has the latitude to do it. And the winner in all of this is Delara. Cha-ching! <laughs> well, hey, they got to make money somehow, right? <laughs> Quite. Yeah, once the arrow kits aren't being made by them anymore, it'll be a big hit to their pockets. Um, so let's see. What else happened last week that we could talk about? There was all right, the... well, we got, well, you're talking about race control and penalties. What about the Graham Rahon justin Wilson incident? And... Justified or not? Well, here's here's some more quotes for you. I did a lot of research. I did a lot of background work before we sat down here tonight. Go, I, I know. Do all day. <laughs> <laughs> so there was there were two incidents. There was the um, Ray Hall punting Wilson, and then Ray Hall got punted later by a lotion. And for the Wilson punt, Ray Hall served a penalty, but for punting Ray Hall. A lotion did not. And Graham Rahal's opinion after Long Beach was, I got penalized for doing the exact same thing that a lotion did, but he didn't get a penalty. What's the deal? What's going on with that? So here's Bo Barfield's explanation to Racer.com. Graham got penalized because he spun Justin before we even went back to green and was beating on his bumper all the way from turn nine. That was an easy call to make. But when Graham got turned, he had moved offline, going into the hairpin, maybe trying to dictate Lotion's exit, I don't know. But when Lotion moved back online, he hit Ray Hall and turned him. If Graham kept his normal line, it would be a, it would have been the chrome horn and the rookie would have gotten a penalty. What do you think okay. of that? Uh, I, I'm okay with Graham getting penalized because the replay I saw, he, he rear-ended Justin like four times. Coming back to the green, I think he, it was easily three or four times he just lifted his rear tire up. So I, I guess I don't have a problem with that one. Uh, and I haven't, I honestly, I don't think I've seen the Elotion and and Ray Hall incident. So I can't really say, but based on that description, if that description is really accurate, it, it sounds to me like Ray Hall chopped him off and paid the penalty for it. Mm-hmm. It, it, and again, I haven't seen the replay. Maybe you did see it. I don't remember seeing it in the race broadcast either, oddly yeah, enough. Yeah. 
I'm not sure how we missed that, but there was a lot of stuff that happened at the end of the race that I think got interrupted for interviews regarding the Ryan Hunter Ray incident. (laughs) Apparently, Elio got penalized for, um, for what was, sorry, I'm trying to remember what it was in the box score, passing before the green. Yeah, you think? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what he was angry about. Yeah, Yeah, but um, we can get to that in a minute. I mean the the Ray Hall incident. though, it sounds like a like a NASCAR sort of thing where Tony Stewart's out blocking on a restrictor plate track, ends up taking himself out in half the field. I mean, it sounds like a lotion was holding his line, and Ray Hall came across his nose. Mm-hmm. That's what the description sounds like. Again, I haven't seen the replay, and that's only one person's description. So. Take that with a grain of salt. Well, but you'd like the, to think that the, the race director's description would be one that you can go on. You you would hope so. <laughs> All I'm saying is that there are two sides to every story and mm. three to most. Right. Um, so, if that is indeed what happened, I have no problem whatsoever with him getting the, uh, a lotion not being penalized there. All right. Well, here's another one. Uh, Wilson and Dixon. This one is interesting because um, here's Bo's description, and I think that this matches what I saw perfectly. Justin turned into Scott and initiated the contact. You can see that Scott was looking hard right, um, may not have known that Wilson was there. Justin probably wasn't going to make the corner, and it was too late for him to do a crossover move because he was too far alongside Dixon. That matches, as I said, exactly what, what TV showed. Uh, Dixon really was looking exactly the other way. So it clearly wasn't something that was intentional. But Wilson was really hot about it. Like, really, really, really hot. And so it's just... um, You're not used to seeing Justin that way. So I don't know if that had been something that that uh, maybe he... No, I don't think that, that you can say that he saw the replay and backed down because he was still pretty ticked off when he was talking to Marshall Pruitt this week, so. Yeah, I don't know what Justin was doing there. I really don't. I mean, yeah, what are you going to do? Make the pass on the outside of turn eight? Come on, no. You don't make, that's not an outside passing zone. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with being a little ambitious as long as you're not taking out five cars and injuring three guys, right? You always have to go back there, don't you? Well, if the, if the only <laughs> result is that you... You. But Hunter Ray at least was trying to pass to the inside. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Wilson wasn't. Was he even alongside him yet? I, I, don't, I don't. My memory is that he was maybe a third of the way up alongside him. Okay, yeah, he wasn't all the way there for no. sure. Um, no. But you know, not surprisingly, Dixon was a little bit more subdued and uh, hmm. and, and uh, kind of blasé about it this time when he was the crasher. Mm-hmm. Than he was last year at Baltimore when Will Power basically did the same thing to him and Dixon was the crashee. Well, that's always the way it is. Well, I'm just saying. That's that, I don't, that surprising. <laughs> the, the situations weren't all that different. No. No. Fair and, enough. you know, Dixon, you know, would have thought that, that Power had come after him with a vendetta and did it on purpose. But, you know, when Dixon does it, well, I just wasn't looking. But he so actually really Power wasn't. Said. Well, neither was Will Power. Well, fine. But, that, I mean, it's a different situation because you can say that Power should have been looking because it was a restart. He, he, he should have been prepared in that situation in Baltimore for somebody to try to go on the outside of him. Whereas this, it, was, it wasn't, the, the field was more strung out by the time that, that the Wilson and Dixon thing happened, I think. I'm not saying either one are right or not. I mean, I don't think <laughs> Dixon did anything malicious at, in any way whatsoever. I, I, I agree that he had absolutely no idea he was there. Mm-hmm. He was taking the normal set line from turn seven to start in an apex turn eight. Yep. I think Wilson, I don't know what he was doing. I don't think that was a pass that was ever going to work. So. Well, maybe he can dress up in a sumo suit and go tap Dixon on the shoulder and they can take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> I think Justin Wilson would be terrifying in a sumo wrestling suit myself. Uh-huh. He's pretty tall. Remember a couple of years ago when it was uh, Wilson and was it Briscoe at Mid Ohio? Oh yeah! Get up in Wilson's business. And Justin <laughs> kind of laughed at him. That was awesome. I forgot about that. Brisco- Briscoe came to Wilson about his belly button. I think. Oh, those scrappy Aussies. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the um, the one benefit of all of this is that hey, at least it was an interesting race. How many times have we seen? No, how many times have we seen Long Beach turn into just a, some one guy takes off and and uh, the rest of it sort of as a snoozer from there? This was definitely uh, hotly contested. Let's put it that it way. Kept you kept you paying attention. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So there is one more matter that we can discuss before we move on from Long Beach, and that was the the. Um, probation the the uh the to helio castro neves that was what was announced yesterday um as of when we're recording this so a couple of days ago by the time you listen to this so what happened was it was a tweet from elio's account that basically said that um what was it race control was was showing preferential treatment to certain drivers, essentially. And it came with a very pretty little graphic. <laughs> <laughs> was promptly deleted. Alejo apologized shortly afterwards, said it was his sister who did it. His sister also copped to it. You know, the conspiracy theorists immediately assumed that they made, uh, that people were making his sister cop to it to make Alejo look, look better. Um, didn't matter either way because Elio got slapped with a probation that goes until June 30th for um, for violating the social media policy. I did a little write-up on this for morefrontwing.com. You'll still find it on the front page. It's got the full social media policy in the article, by the way. So if you haven't seen it, you can go and have a look. It's actually very reasonable, I think. I didn't see anything in it that made me think... You know, they're they're controlling these guys too much or, or reining them in too much. And as I pointed out in the article, even though they said in the announcement about the probation that the rule that was invoked was the social media policy, the one that was actually invoked in this instance was the, I happen to remember the number of it, 9.3.7, which is um, just the... Uh, disparaging remarks about officials or something like that it's called and and specifically is targeted toward keeping participants from from slagging on indycar basically um and it was only because this incident happened on social media that the social media policy was invoked to um to to reference the probation so I you can go my opinions all in that write up. I think I thought it was very reasonable. I'm getting pretty darn tired of people finding any excuse that they can to find something wrong with what IndyCar is doing. I don't see any problem whatsoever with them telling pe- their participants that they can they can talk smack about each other, but you talk smack about us and we're going to we're going to lay a bit of a smackdown because this is our sandbox and and we tell you how to play. And um I guarantee you other sanctioning bodies would do it the same way. And frankly, IndyCar doesn't need any more bad press. And they're they're working very hard right now to try to recover from the mess that they've been in for the last few years. And they can't have their drivers going around talking smack about how the, how the race director sucks while they're trying to do that. So to me, it makes perfect sense. And people who are claiming that IndyCar has no backbone and that they're muzzling their drivers need to need to have a little bit of a think about where that's coming from and about how much they're just assuming that IndyCar is doing wrong because that's what they're used to assuming and, and not thinking outside the box. I would like to point out, and I was thinking about this earlier, other than, Bo- than um, Brian Barnhart, who sort of has a backroom hand in things a fair amount still and uh, Bo Barfield I think is in his third year now as race director those two guys are the longest tenured of anybody in the IndyCar administration now I think at the at the higher levels I can't think of anybody who's been there longer can you in, in an official capacity right as Miles came in last year I mean he hired a bunch of people Derek Walker came in last year uh, the new head of PR was hired in the off season. Yeah, it's I mean, a, I guess you could talk. Some of the technical staff maybe have been there. Kevin Blanche has been yeah, there. Yeah, he's for a been while, there but forever. But when you talk about the executive team, yeah, I mean, those are the two longest tenure. Barnhart's been around since since the Hills were formed, and mm-hmm. um, but he's the only one. Barnhart's he and three. Kevin, I think, are the only guys that are really left from that era. And a lot of even the people that that Randy Bernard worked under have have moved on or or shuffled into different positions. So I think I really think that people need to stop and have a think about, 
saying, oh, same old, same old for IndyCar. Nothing within IndyCar is same old, same old right now. There's a lot of change happening, very fundamental. And I think we all need to sit back and let it shuffle itself out a little bit and give it a chance and not immediately jump to the conclusion that everything that they do sucks. Because it's not the same people that were that are making the same decisions and, and things, I believe, genuinely are changing. And I think that people need to give it a chance. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with what they did. I, like you said, any other sanctioning or sporting organization or employer in general. Now, I understand IndyCar isn't necessarily Elio's employer. Team Penske is, but... You know, would Elio have made this comment about Roger Penske or Tim Sendrick? No. Why? Because you just don't say those things about the hand that feeds you. You mm-hmm. don't bite the hand. And in this case, IndyCar is what gives Elio his identity. Whether this was... Well, somewhere between that and Dancing with, with the Stars. Well, yeah, but even that's, what, seven years ago now? I think <laughs> that's starting to lose some of its shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if this was Major League Baseball or NFL or NASCAR or, you know, you name the sporting event, you go against, when you publicly disparage the officiating body, there's a penalty to pay for it. Usually it's a lot more severe than, what, six weeks on probation? Yeah. Well, I think the only and reason that it wasn't more severe is because of his insistence that it wasn't him that did it in the first place. Maybe. I mean, Yeah. I guess, but I think IndyCar itself also realizes that it wasn't the worst thing in the world that's ever been said, and they're not going to come down with a $100,000 penalty for, for something like that that was deleted within a matter of moments. Um, what was the but, uh, what was the penalty to willpower for the Angry Birds? I think that's what we should use as our benchmark going forward for penalty severity. Did he get the 25000 for that one? I can't remember. I'm going to have to go look either. it up. I don't either. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, and like you said, the the people that are that that, that just go against everything is bad. That IndyCar does kind of need to dig in a little deeper. The one I'm tired of is that it's oh, this is freedom of speech or whatever, and that just drives me absolutely up a wall as well. That, yeah. Um, no, yeah. I agree with you. If I mean, we're not getting we're not getting the federal judicial system involved here, and uh, you know, we're not sending him to jail or something that you know stifled his free speech doesn't mean you can't still have consequences for what you say particularly when you disparage somebody who uh, grants you the the right and the privilege to do what you do for a living and as I said when uh, I think I said it on Facebook today um, oh yes in that big know, long diatribe of a comment that you left on the post you about- like that yeah, that was that was. It I had was to I had to quote the social media policy as yeah, well. Yeah. Um. But no, these drivers go to great stakes to promote their brand. Um. And in this case, Elio's Twitter account is part of his brand, for which he is ultimately responsible. Um. And the people that use his Twitter account or his Facebook account or whatever social media account to act on his behalf in promoting his brand, he is responsible for the content of what gets put out there. Mm -hmm. It's no different than if you look at at Arnie's Twitter account or Mike Kitchell's Twitter account uh, or Jake Query or somebody who works in a public – in a public position for another organization, almost everyone on there will say, you know, tweets are my own opinion, do not represent the the beliefs or opinions of my employer or some legal verbiage like that. That's In a different ca- situation, though, because it, it is, a it is actually situation. those people that are making those comments. This Correct. is co- but, a theoretically but, not that same person. Right, but the point is that these people are isolating themselves from the sanctioning body that they may or may not represent in a different capacity. In this case, this came from Elio's account. Elio himself is ultimately responsible for the content that comes from his account. If he decides to grant permission to somebody else to use the account on his behalf, he is still responsible for what is get, what gets sent out from that account. Whether, whether it's sent technically with his permission or not, whether it was inadvertent or not, what happens is still his responsibility. In this case, something came from the account that was inappropriate. 
at least according to the social media policy, and and he gets slapped on the wrist for it. There's precedent, and it, there's no reason why he shouldn't be. Now, if you want to argue whether or not IndyCar should be coming down on on those types of comments, that's a different policy. But the fact is, the policy is in place. The rule book and the policy both state that the policy applies to both drivers, entrance, drivers slash entrance, and series officials. It's clear. It's black and white. They had no choice but to to lay a penalty upon him for this. I don't think it's a very severe penalty, to be quite honest. Has anyone ever gotten in trouble when they were on probation? No. Well, that doesn't mean they won't. No, not they won't. But what's... Yeah, but I mean, come on. Again, two and a half months on probation, and we don't know yeah, what it's the nothing, terms are. Really. Yeah, it's not. It's a but slap I, on the wrist. I've never been it, a fan of looking at things as well. It's in the rule book, so they had no choice. I agree that that's the case, but you, with any of these situations, you have to also need to sit back and say, well, should it be in the rule book? In this case, yes, it should be in the rule book because it's IndyCar's sandbox, and if these guys want to come and play in it, they have to follow IndyCar's rules. And IndyCar has a good reason for making that rule, and that's that, you know, we don't want bad press with our drivers talking smack about our officials. Let's not make the stories about that. I'm kind of dismayed at the amount of time that we've spent tonight making the stories about that <laughs> and the penalties and race control and all that, because this is all the stuff that we were not supposed to be talking about this year. And yet it seems to come up every year. But, you know, the, the reason why they've done this is to try to set a precedent going forward that this is not the kind of thing that everybody is focused on and and to make it about the racing and the drivers and that in in the opinion of me and lots of other people is is the correct thing for IndyCar to do for for its own stability going forward so I think uh, I think the the smart thing for the participants to do is to follow that rule because otherwise clearly and and it's possible that the whole intention of this was to set an example uh, something will be done about it when that's not when that's not followed and that's fair enough I think this is as close as we're going to come to agreeing. I think we <laughs> actually agree on something. Okay, here. cool. And one other thing. Whoever would have thought five years ago that Twitter would matter so much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the world of IndyCar, it's funny how big it's become. Yeah, no one ever gets in trouble for posting things on Facebook, do they? I don't think so. I can't recall ever having seen that. I know after a race is over, I'm spending the next three or four hours constantly refreshing Twitter to see mm-hmm. what trash comes up before it gets deleted. Uh-huh. <laughs> so does that mean that tr- Facebook has almost officially become the MySpace of the 2010s? Oh, that's harsh. No, I don't think that's true. <laughs> there's, a, there's a good amount of um, discussion that goes on on Facebook and on sort of more in-depth articles after the fact, actually. And if you want to take part in some of that discussion, you can find us at Facebook dot com slash more front wing wow um, you really hit that lob right out of the park thank you <laughs> very well done but um no facebook facebook has its purpose it's just not that instant gratification of of um post-race interaction like twitter is twitter is is really at its peak during and immediately after races in my opinion mm-hmm. yep i think we've actually covered everything to do with long beach can you think of anything that i might have missed no? Mm, no. Great. Let's move on. So, um, Barber Motorsports Park this weekend. It's a beautiful facility. Gorgeous facility. Yes. Um, Ryan Hunter-Ray won there last year. And um, so, we'll see how, what happens this week. Um, we'll, Maybe he'll start next to Joseph Newgarden. I was just going to say, we might see that retaliation thing come into play and be talking about the whole thing again next week. <laughs> um <laughs> But, I mean, in terms of what to expect, it's it's funny because we got used to see, thinking of this race as kind of boring, but then the last couple of years with the DW12, it hasn't really been so much. Um, certainly lost lots of dust-ups, and um, but it'll be interesting to see. This, this might be a, an interesting test for the Hondas as well to see. Um, I, I seem to recall them being quite strong if at least on equal footing in spring training if not slightly ahead of the of the Chevrolets so um with it being a somewhat higher speed track and uh, and a road course as opposed to a street course like we've been on so far it might uh, make it might 
make any uh, any differences a little more apparent as we go into the month of May. So, uh, any any other thoughts from you on what you're expecting to see at Barber before we make our guesses on who? Well, I, I was see just going to follow up on you on that. Are you su- have you been surprised thus far how strong Honda's been out of the gate with their new engine this Absolutely. year? Absolutely, completely surprised. I did not expect to see them uh, anywhere near the top in, until at least Indy. It's been quite something. Yeah, what do you think Chiskanessi's thinking this year? Yeah, that is a funny, uh, a funny thing to think about. But um, they haven't won a race yet, but I think we'll see them do it in this in this pre-indie stretch. So yeah, they, they they have definitely been. It seems like they've had a leg up on the power uh, this mm-hmm. year. Events have just transpired that's kind of taken them. I, I guess power, will power was very strong at at uh, at. St. Pete in a Chevrolet, but Honda had run well there all weekend with Takuma getting the pull. Honda ran very well this weekend, or I guess last weekend in Long Beach. Uh, took, what, five out of the top six in, in qualifying? Is that right? Mm, that does I had to seem go back right. And look. But, you know, then they were running the top three or four when the big incident occurred. Um, you know, Wilson was running No, you, that's right. You were the one who... Um... No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of during the race because during after the race you tweeted something about oh look at all the Hondas at the front and everybody was saying oh <laughs> no 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 but you're right it was five out of the six in in the fast six were Hondas yeah, yeah. yeah. so they've been very strong all weekend if, as we said earlier thinking avoid taking each other out of the race <laughs> from now yeah I think they're going to be pretty strong and think who else Ryan Hunter Ray you mentioned that won here last year in a Chevrolet but I seem to remember him being strong a couple times I thought on this track maybe. Maybe I'm having kind of a bit of seems, revisionist history. No, it seems to be a good one for him. But before we move on from Honda, as I mentioned, I'm, I've been writing that story for Wheels uh, on HPD. And um, so I just happen to have been talking to quite a few HPD personnel in the last couple of weeks. And I can tell you that everybody within the organization is really, really excited and, and um, very pleased with the with the progress that they've made so far with the twin turbo and um, are almost genuinely surprised themselves. Because mm-hmm. um, at this point last year, they were all so downtrodden and so um, just not at all happy with where they were. And they've done almost a complete 180. And uh, and everybody there seems to be flying uh, in cloud nine at the moment. But uh, yeah, this seems to have been one of those tracks that's always gone well for Ryan Hunter-Ray. Um, but on the other hand... It, there is well, you know, I don't want to talk about it too much until we make our picks. So let's see, who do you think is gonna gonna go away with the win this year, this week? Well, we've been talking about how strong Ryan Hunter Ray is. Uh, you know, he won here last year, has run strong previously. So I'm going to take Scott Dixon. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw uh, that coming a mile away. You think? Yeah. Am I that transparent? Really? Yeah. I, have you not picked <laughs> Scott for any of the races so far this year? I'm trying to think. Oh, did I? Well, he was doing well until he ran out of fuel last weekend. Mm. That's true. We kind of probably should have mentioned that. That's kind of it's kind of an important point. Oh yeah, he ran well until he ran out of fuel. And and don't take this the wrong way, Scott. <laughs> but I'm actually really happy to see a race, a fuel economy race, come down to somebody not winning with fuel economy, like getting it wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to the Chip Ganassi guys for for saying that because I know they're not happy about getting it wrong. But it makes things more interesting to watch. But having said that, I'm trying to think of the last few times that a that a fuel economy race has gone wrong for a team, and Ganassi is the only one that comes to mind. And it's been more than once. Do you remember that Indy? That month of May where both. Was oh it? well, yeah. That was that wasn't necessarily fuel strike. They just screwed that. What year was that? Does that? Was it third? Was it last year? Or was it eleven? Oh, they was won it... that year. I I think it was eleven. I can't remember exactly how it went, but I thought that there was just a complete miscalculation. They just didn't put enough fuel in it. Yeah. They just, I mean, they pitted with like twenty-two laps to go, and they just didn't put enough fuel in the car. It's they a it's missed. a slightly different thing, but it still gets right. filed yeah. into the same fuel screw up, screw up category yeah. and and uh, that's the only thing i can think of the only team i can think of that's had incidents well in that same thing. race that 2011 race was uh, you'll remember bertrand banguette was driving <laughs> there's for. a name we haven't heard in a little while yeah, yeah. I, know. I wasn't expecting to bring that name up in the podcast <laughs> tonight. 
<laughs> he was driving for Ray Hall in that one. They tried to stretch that one, and you know, I think he ended up what two laps short or three mm-hmm. laps short or something like that. When it looked like maybe he would have a chance, uh, but yeah, you have to go back a long way to when somebody didn't win when they tried to. Remember the race? Was it at Kansas or Kentucky that Elio won going about thirty miles an hour? The last <laughs> that's right, and had the space to do it. So that, yeah. that's impressive enough. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, you're taking Scott Dixon. Why? Yeah. Do I even need to ask? Because he's a yeah. rock star. Yeah, he's a rock star. He's just so good on natural terrain courses. You know, usually you think of Scott Dixon as being awesome at Mid Ohio, but you know that this course is it plays a little bit similar to that. You know, there's some very very tight technical, um, but I think this is just the the type of course that Scott always performs well at. Mm-hmm. Like him here. I think I'm going to go with power. Hmm, wait a minute. It's like deja vu. <laughs> the same. Well, I think um, my reasoning for that is just that he seems to be on a on a really good roll. He's leading the championship by quite a bit. He didn't win this past weekend, but he he um, where did he finish this weekend? And look now, uh, second. There you go. Wait that, a second. Yeah, that would <laughs> that's pretty terrible that we didn't. Am I looking at the right page? Yeah, and Munoz was third. That's another mention worth doing. I forgot uh-huh. that he was on the podium. Wow, we're really not organized tonight. That's what no, happened. No, we're really not. Where'd he go? <laughs> yeah, how, how sad is that? Will Power finishes second. It's just like afterthought. Like, oh, Nobody yeah, even thinks Yeah, no, but I mean, that sort of explains why he's leading the championship. But there was that season a couple years ago where I think Long Beach was the only thing he didn't win in the lead into Indianapolis, remember? And I feel like we're in another one of those. It could be. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him win this weekend. But yes, we totally slipped up by not congratulating Carlos Munoz on that excellent performance to get himself into third. And you know what else we need to talk about before we put a bow on this is uh, Montoya in fourth. Because that was yeah, a pretty darn happened. big deal too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did, To be fair, I think both of those Penske guys were helped by yeah, sure. a lot of the guys uh, not surviving the race, but... But I think not very many people expected to see Montoya get a result like that so quickly. No, uh, he he did not have a good weekend before the race. Mm. I don't think he necessarily had a particularly exciting race either. But again, he survived. He finished, mm-hmm. and you know, finishing the all the laps is a good way to move your way up the the the, the box score. Right. So back to Barber as we finish off our highly disconnected podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just a few housekeeping items before we wrap up, because we want to mention that this weekend is a, a natural terrain road course, which means that the entire Mazda Road to India is doing double headers this weekend. So that um, will mean lots of racing at the lower ends of the ladder and lots of great blog entries for us from our Road to Indy drivers as we uh, carry on in the couple of weeks between here and the Grand Prix of Indianapolis. So please do keep an eye on the site as we begin to roll those out after the end of the weekend. And to keep an eye on things during the weekend in the IndyCar side of things, please do check out our Honda Indy Grand Prix of Indiana, or Alabama. Try Hikpa, that again. Hikpa, <laughs> event summary, which will keep give you um, the weekend schedule, the weather forecast, the pre-race statistics, the current points, every session timesheet, the race results, all of the post-race reports, and the post-race point standings by the time we get to the end of the weekend. And you can always find our latest event summary at morefrontwing.com slash event summary. There's one more thing I want to talk about before we go. Uh, and I, not being a Midwesterner, I don't know if this is something that typically happens or if this is something that's new. You're going to have to tell me, Paul. But I noticed this go by on Twitter today, and I thought it was interesting. If you happen to be doing your grocery shopping at a Kroger this weekend and you happen to still need tickets for the Indianapolis 500, do keep note that if you spend $150 this Thursday to Saturday at a Kroger in Indiana, you will get two grandstand tickets for the Indianapolis 500. 
Wow. Yeah, really? yeah. So there's a whole bunch of conditions. You have to buy five General Mills products or something like that, and and there's there's a whole bunch of fine print. You can find it all on the IMS Twitter feed. Um, but yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting, and I don't know whether to think to myself, "Wow, that's a really great promotion," or "Wow, they must be having a hard time selling tickets." <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. Hmm. But I anyway, don't know. if you if interesting, you, yeah. Everybody needs to buy groceries. Yeah, there you go. Everyone, everyone needs to buy their groceries. That's for sure. Yeah. So if you need tickets, go and go and get them at Kroger this weekend, and uh, and there you go. But you're right. I, I I guess there are spots around the Speedway where there's room to do that. I don't imagine they'll be giving away E stand tickets. Uh, no, this probably garage. not. No. You might be sitting in uh, row five of the North or South Vista. But you know or... what? If it gets new people in there, then. Mm-hmm. More power to him for that. So yeah. now, now that we're talking this out, I'm starting to lean more toward, hey, this is a really great promotion. What a good idea. Let's get some new pe- new people, new eyes in there. Let's hope it's an exciting race and that maybe they want to come back. Ideally, to a race that's not the Indianapolis 500. That might like be the great. Grand Prix of Indianapolis. Well, that doesn't help you. <laughs> and on that brilliant note, I think we'll call it a night. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We always appreciate hearing from you. And uh, and we will be back next week. Unfortunately, we don't have anyone at Barber this weekend. It, it hurts us. It breaks our hearts. But we are like everyone else in racing. We have helmet in hand and no funding. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but we will be back. I, I, are you doing the, the full weekend, the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, Paul? I'm determined. I am going to be there. So Oh, well there you go. Yeah, so at least one of us will be there covering things that weekend. So we're only in a brief hiatus this time around. Looking forward to getting back into the swing of things at the track. But in the meantime, we will be back next week to cover everything that happens this weekend at the Higpa. <laughs> I'm not gonna try to say it again. <laughs> Grand Prix of Indiana, right? Indiana, yes. No. <laughs> let's confuse everyone. All right. And with that, let's let's get out of everybody's ears. But until we return, please remember, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more front wing.